0: Come and be in this place. We'll set this right over here. Take your Bible tonight and let's go to the book of Psalms and the 71st Psalm. And we'll look there in just a moment. Thank you to the Allens for uh, encouraging us tonight, warming my soul. What a great, great word from them. Thank you, your family. What a blessing uh, unto us. And uh, Pastor, thank you for allowing me to come. Brother David Schaffner as well, and allowing us to be here. Uh, of this tuesday night of this old-fashioned revival time uh, i appreciate uh, the pastor uh, sharing a word that uh my life might somehow inspire him as a younger pastor that's the only kind of pastors i meet anymore younger pastors so uh uh when they started they thought about uh you know kind of calling it was a senior adult emphasis uh, to this to begin with and then everybody started coming, and so uh, I'm glad to, all of us are, are here tonight. Well, I, I'm in Psalm 71, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Now, uh, when you read the Psalms, most all of the Psalms have a heading in front of them, and it'll say, a song or a psalm of Asaph who was David's music leader or most of the psalms are a psalm of David. One psalm is a psalm of Moses which most people think is the oldest of the psalms and so you read through those 150 and different authors they put those headings there. Uh, they came in about the end of the first second century uh, as they started putting the book together and so the headings are not inspired as the inerrant and infallible word of God uh, but they do have help us. Well, when you come to Psalm 71, we don't know. So there's no heading and they're, they're not sure who wrote Psalm 71. But C.H. Spurgeon says David wrote it and that's good enough for me. All right. So Spurgeon votes David. I vote David. And I think out of this text we can see some of the life of David. And I want us to look at it tonight. in What I call the prayer of an old believer. Psalm 71, I began reading in verse 17 and read down through verse 21. You follow along with me because this now is God's blessed word. O God, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, and your power to all who are to come. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And we know the answer to that. No one. You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth may you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. David, I believe, is praying this prayer and I believe he's praying it when he's an old man. We know whoever's praying this is an old man. I believe this is David at the end of his life. Oh God, don't let me forget what you taught me from when I was a lad. You've taught me since I was just a kid. And now that I'm old and gray, he says, Oh, God, don't leave me now until I can declare your strength to the present generation and your power to all who are to come. Now, listen to me, church. If we're going to touch our, our community, if we're going to touch the city in which we live, if we're going to touch our land, the church must be aflame with the power of the Holy Ghost and we must understand the multi-generational touch of the church. Young people need old people and old people need young people. We, we all need one another. I learned things from the young generation and they learn things from me. There are five generations alive today in the workforce. That means there'd be five, maybe six generations alive in the church house yeah. my mother's 92 she's in a memory care unit over on the north side of town yeah. Brother Allen she used to lead the music in our little country church North Alabama Lord uh, oh, love my mother I'm an only child I take care of her when she, I moved her here I said mother if you wanted better care you ought to have more kids that's all I can take I said, I'll do the best I can, but I'm it. Well, my mother's of that generation. they call called the great generation. They fought the wars, and daddy went to war. Yeah. And then I'm with the boomer generation, 46 to 64. The most arrogant generation ever to touch the ground in the USA. Friend, if you think it can't be done, just ask us. We'll tell you how to do it nine ways to Sunday. <laughs> Following the boomers come my kids. Lord, have mercy to my son. I got two. I got a stay-at-home mother that's homeschooling, and I got a son who's a lawyer in downtown Pensacola. He works for the state attorney's office. I tell him all the time, he's trying to put him in jail, and I'm trying to keep him out of jail. That's that's, (laughs) that's what we're trying to do. Then come my grandkids in that fourth generation. My two little girls, they're 10 and 8. That generation's growing up. And then coming behind them are children that are being birthed and born. there in our nurseries and preschoolers. Let me tell you, church, every generation needs the other generation. And David, in this text, he's praying, oh God, oh God, don't let me forget what I learned when I was young. And now that I'm old and gray, God, don't leave me or forsake me until I can do two things. Until I can tell this present generation of your strength. Now, that word strength is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's It Starts with a Z. Z-E-R-O-A-H. That word means arm. Like you'd arm wrestle. That's the, that's the power of God. Lord, don't, don't let me leave here until I can show this generation your arm, your strength. Yeah. And then he says, and your power. That's not the same word as strength. That first word is an outward manifestation. This word power is a different Hebrew word that means the inward strength of God. You know, sometimes we just need God to show up and show out, amen? Yeah. That's the outward manifestation of God. And then there are other times, like yesterday when I walked into Norma Lewis's hospice room on her birthday. She was 82 yesterday. and They said she won't live 24 hours. And Her family's gathered around that you don't need the arm of God then. You, you need the peace that passes all worldly understanding. And so we prayed, oh God, in your sovereign time, take Norma when, when you want her to step into glory. So that sometimes you need that outward strength. The other times you need the quiet inward strength. Hmm. And God help me teach it to this generation and all who are to come. What did David know? He says, "Lord, you've taught me from my youth." Now church listen to me. I'm going to give you the longest sermon illust- sermon introduction you've ever heard in your life, all right? My introduction's got 7 points. But the sermon is just about this long, all right? So hang with me and don't run out the door. What did God teach David? How did David learn about this strength and power? David said, "You've taught me from my youth." I want to show you 7 things that God taught David with from the time he was just a lad all the way till he's an elderly king. What did God teach him and how did he teach him? You ready to go? Here we are. Seven things I want to give you tonight that I want you to see. First of all, he taught him with a shepherd's crook. A shepherd's crook. Over in 1 Samuel 16, he sat on the backside of the desert and he was learning from God in obscurity when Samuel came looking for a new king. Uh, they ran all the boys by and he said, nope, 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 nope. He's not here. Do you have any more boys? Yeah, I've got one on the backside. Well, go get him. And they sent for David. They sent him a text and he came running. (laughs) David came to the house and the prophet said, this is the man of God. Let me tell you, friend, there's some things. Listen to me now. There's some things you learn about God only in isolation on the backside of the desert all by yourself when nobody else is talking to you save God and his book. That's all you got. And it's all you need. You you learn many things from your pastor, you learn it from your teachers, you learn it from your... But there's some things only God teaches you, and you have to learn those in obscurity on the backside of the desert. David taught, God taught David first with the shepherd's crook. He's out there just taking care of stinking sheep. Let me tell you, if David doesn't take care of those sheep, he never writes the 23rd Psalm. It's what he learned on the backside of the desert. Number two, God taught him not only with a shepherd's crook, he taught him with the sling when he faced Goliath. David's down there. All the boys have gone up to fight the Philistines. His father sends David up. He's the youngest. They go up and check on the boys at the front. He goes down with the cheeses, the Bible says. He takes the cheese down to the front. And as he gets there, of course, that nine-foot-six man walks out and curses the God of David. And everybody starts backing up. And David says, my Lord, my God, is nobody going to stand up. And he steps, and you know the story. The most taught story to little boys in Sunday school. Little girls don't care for it too much, but little boys love this story. David reached down, and he found five smooth stones on the way, and he put them in the shepherd's pile. He stepped up. He slung that sling. That rock hit Goliath in the forehead. And according to 1 Samuel 17, he fell. Now, there is some argumentation of whether the giant was dead from the sling. Then David went and took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. That did the trick. He was a goner. (laughs) Let me tell you, there's some things, listen to me, there's some things you learn that you must stand alone when no one else will stand with you. All the rest of the army backed up, but David stepped forward and there he was standing by himself in the culture, in the office, in front of his peers, in his class, at high school, when he learned to stand and rely on God and God alone. Let me tell you, friend, power comes from obscurity. Power comes when you learn to stand when nobody else is with you. Sometimes you have to stand alone. Number three, he learned from the javelin of Saul, the javelin of Saul. Uh, David, in 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19, it happened to him two times. He, He was called up to Saul's house for the big meal. And David's at the table. (laughs) And the Bible says that when they came into the city, the women would shout, Saul has slain his thousands. And David has slain tens of thousands. That old green-eyed monster of jealousy got on Saul. He loved that boy for what he had done so far, but now he's jealous. And the Bible tells us two times, while at the dining room table in the king's house, Saul took a javelin and threw it at David. Missed him and it lodged in the wall. Hmm. Let me tell you, friends, sometimes you just have to stand alone And then you have to learn to overcome the jealousy of others. Myrtle Grove Church, listen to me. If God breaks out in revival in this church, everybody won't like it. Matter of fact, some of your closest friends won't like it. If the touch of God begins to come, oh, many people rejoice with you, but I'm telling you there'll be others when the blessing of God comes your way, they turn in jealousy. They begin to throw the javelins. Mm. I'm a country boy. I'm from rural northeast Alabama. I'm a country preacher, that's all I've ever been. I married a city girl. Sweet Liz was a home economics major, and remember when they used to have that? Uh, I, I'd go to these big gatherings we go to, and I, I asked her. I said, what do I do? I said, I don't know. they got so many wrenches out here, I don't even know what to do. She said, just start from the outside in, son. You'll be all right. Just get that one out there, and just work in, work in, work in. She said, don't touch that deal up at the top. She said, they're going to bring you something sweet, and you want to make sure you got that dessert for it. I said, okay. I, I don't know much about all that, but let me tell you, I know this. You don't throw swords at dinner guests. <laughs> even I know that. And you're not supposed to throw them at your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you can't pray for the blessing of God on a sister church, you need to repent and get right with Holy God. The shepherd's crook, the sling, the javelin. He taught him number four with the arrows of Jonathan. Oh, you remember David was at the table, and Saul was going to try to kill him, but he couldn't kill him. And Jonathan came to him like a brother, and he said, listen, come out with me. I'm going to be shooting tomorrow, and and I think you're going to have to leave, but I'm not sure. I'll find out from Saul if he's really going to try to send the guys after you to kill you. And he said, if I shoot the arrow long, you know you got to go. If I shoot it short, you can stay. And the Bible says that David came and hid in the underbrush. And of course Jonathan pulled way back and he shot the Arafar and he sent the servant to go get it and David came out of the underbrush put his arms around Jonathan. The Bible says Jonathan kissed him and said, you've got to go. You you have to leave. Listen to me, church. If you're going to know about the strength and power of God, you must build godly relationships with true friends. And if you've got two or three that will stand with you when hell comes and your life is on fire, I'm telling you, you're a blessed man or woman. Be a friend and receive the friendships that God brings to you. Jonathan was that kind of man that God was teaching David, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, I'll be your true friend. The dear pastor said, I've been at Olive for 33 years here in just a few weeks. I'll mark 33 years of pastor at Olive Church. 32 of the happiest years of my life. Yeah, there, there was 1997. <laughs> oh, man, God beat everything out of me that wasn't Jesus in 1997. Oh, man, I tried to leave. I wanted to leave. I, I prayed to leave. I asked people to recommend me. I wanted out of town. I didn't believe I deserved that church, and I didn't think they deserved me. I just wanted. Do, do, you know, Pastor, when, when you're, huh, when you want a pulpit committee, you can't find one in a 40-acre field. I'm, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> Amen. I, I've been in church. Where they just came every week, you know. And they, they, but I couldn't. I, nobody wanted me because God had me. On the potter's wheel yeah. and God sent me three men they came to my house in May of 97 I'd gotten those letters a lady in our church wrote me a letter that said she's gonna burn my house down I had a lady wrote my wife and called her Jezebel that lady was at Olive Sunday uh, we've We've had repentance, and everything is good there now. But it was not good then. Oh, she didn't sign the letter, but I knew who she was. So how do you know? Well, I have three men in my church that work for the state of Florida and the Florida law enforcement. Two of them work in the handwriting division. (laughs) I just just use the tools I'm given, brother. That's that's all I know to do. uh, but we, we made all that right but but it was hard my wife called i said i got good news and bad news she said what's the good news i said you're getting a new house <laughs> and, uh, She said, what's the bad news i said I'm about fixing to burn the one you got down <laughs> I, I, I. There you go. on the 18th day of may 1997 i went to my house late one night and a card pulled up and i didn't recognize the car and i didn't know the car I walked out, and my little boy was upstairs. Nobody else was home, and I walked down. Three men got out of that car. I said, what are y'all doing here? They were three of the dearest friends I had. I just didn't know it. They said, Pastor, we've been on a little trip, and we just come to bless you tonight, and want you to know we love you. I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, this morning we got up, and we drove to Pisgah, Alabama. That's 350 miles from right here in northeast Alabama, top of Sand Mountain. Take you Six hours. So what are y'all doing up there? So we went to see your mother and daddy. He said, you used to tell us that the artesian water would bubble up out of the ground. I said, yeah, I'd drink it as a kid. And he said, well, you ever read that story over in 2 Samuel 23 where David's three mighty men went and got that water, the well in Bethlehem, broke through the line. And they reached over in the back seat of the car and got out a quart fruit jar. And they said, we've brought you a drink of water from your well in Bethlehem. We've come to tell you that we love you. They brought me some stones from there. They brought some other things. But when they got ready to leave, Pastor, they looked at me and they said, Pastor, we are willing to die for you. Friend, I don't know if you got any friends like that or not. I don't know if you would be a friend like that. But let me tell you what, this generation needs to teach the coming generation that there are friends that stay by the stuff. They don't run and hide when it gets hot. They don't leave. They stay with you. And they love you. Even when you've messed up, they stay with you. Oh, thank God for the errors of Jonathan and the love of that man. Number five, he taught him with the faithlessness. Now, don't miss this. The faithlessness of Joab. When David was getting ready uh, to become To move out and not be the king. Joab, who had been his general all those years in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse number 7. Joab backed Adonijah. Now as close as friendships are, let me tell you, sometimes you have to stand even when your close friends turn their back on you. Sometimes it happens. You're living for God and they just walk out. I have pastors all the time. I said, man, it must be great to be in a church 33 years. I said, oh, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's wonderful. But it's not, I'm just telling you, it's, it's not all honey and no bees. See, the average pastor just stays three to four years. He doesn't stay long enough to see the children and the children of the children's children leave the church. Just up and walk out. Go down. I'm not talking about moving to Atlanta. I'm talking about moving across town. They say, well, we like this bunch over here a little better. You know, we kind of got old. If you stick around, you'll have people that will turn their back on you. Be very careful you're not one of those. Be faithful. Don't be a Joab. Learn that old friends can disappoint you and sometimes they will on you. Be very careful. Remember, you strengthen your powers not in the friend. You strengthen powers in the Lord our God. Number six, number six, he learned from the, don't miss this, he learned from the faithfulness of Mephibosheth. He's my favorite word in the Old Testament because you can spit on six rows when you say <laughs> Mephibosheth. David went, went to his, he said to, to his leaders, he said, is there anybody from Saul's family we can befriend? And Ziba, Z-I-B-A, Ziba said, yes, there is Mephibosheth. His grandson He's still alive. He said, get up, boy, and bring him up here. And they brought him. Of course, you know that they dropped him when he was small. It, and he couldn't walk because he was wounded in his knees. And they brought Mephibosheth up to David. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 9, 8, when Mephibosheth came, he knelt and bowed like a dead dog. Hmm. This boy didn't have anything. He had nothing. He didn't have anything to give the king. He was just related to Saul. Hmm. Well, do you know when God gets the heart of a Mephibosheth, he can move the world with it. Never forget the faithfulness of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth stayed at the table with David till he died. Glory to God. I had a little fellow over at Olive. It was a special needs child. He was saved. And we baptized him, and then he grew up and became a teenager. And every Sunday, every Sunday. I don't mean every now. I mean every Sunday in the He'd walk down to me, and he'd wait patiently, and he talked real fast. He talked real fast. He said, Brother Ted, Brother Ted, I love you. I love you. It's a great sermon today. Great sermon I've ever heard in my life. It's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's just great, great, great. And he'd say, I love you. And then he kissed me right here and he walked out the door. i got deacons won't shake my hand. <laughs> I don't mean they don't like me. I mean, it's just, they just don't show themselves, you know, very much. They don't show affection. It's, this little boy, I'll never forget it. A few years ago, he walked up, and he said, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm going to tell you, God's called me, going to make me a preacher just like you. I'm going to be a preacher just like you. That's what God wants me to do. I'm going to be a preacher just like you. <laughs> I rubbed him on the head, and I walked off. And I, I'll never forget it. I, I walked toward the side door, and I prayed this prayer, and I had tears in my eyes. I said, Lord God, don't hurt that little boy. He's never going to be a preacher. And I heard it. <clears throat> Has God ever cleared his throat at you? Huh? He said, You mind your business, son. I'll mind the preacher calling business. Yeah. The summer went by, and one of the teachers over one of the middle schools where he was going came up and said, Pastor, we had FCA meeting this morning, and uh, I said, Good. He said, I asked for testimonies. He said, Guess who popped up and gave his testimony? my Mephibosheth. He said, we had three eighth graders got saved this morning at shit. I I will never, I'll never forget if I've ever heard the voice of God, he asked me this question, how many middle schoolers did you lead to Jesus? See, he's looking for a Mephibosheth that'll just sell out. Because when, when he takes little, he does much with it and he gives strength and he gives power. Yeah. But we're too busy educating and thinking we're something when Jesus said without him we can do nothing. Hmm. But number seven, last point in the introduction. There's the rebellion of Absalom. God taught David through the rebellion of Absalom. You know the story, Amnon had been the rape of the girl. And then Absalom came in and tore up the house. And David pushed him out of the kingdom. Joab would later say, let him come back and he did. Been two years and Absalom, the king's boy came home. And the Bible says that he waited at the gate in 2 Samuel 15, 6, you'll find that he waited at the gate and as people walked up to see the king, they'd come out and David would have dealt with them But Absalom would say, how'd it go? Well, not so good. He said, let me tell you, if I was the king, you'd get a better deal. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 15, 6 that Absalom stole the heart of Israel from his daddy and the people turned away from David to follow Absalom. You know the story. David had to get on out of town. He ran. And Absalom was so full of himself, he was such a fool, that the Bible says he got on the king's mule. That'd be like flying Air Force One. And he went after David. You know what happened to him. He ran up under the oaks of Mamre and he had that long hair and The Hebrew context says not so much that his hair got caught, but but his neck was caught and he was dangling from the tree. The Bible says that Joab took three spears and wrapped them together and ran him through. Then they went to see David. David was weeping and when the runner came, he said, How is it with my boy? And He said, He hangs yonder in the oaks of Mamre dead. And David wept. Dear friend, when your own family walks away from the faith and they won't stand with you, And if there's anything that breaks this pastor's heart, it's that people that grow up and and, and they've raised their kids right and then they see them walk out into an alternate sexual lifestyle or they see them walk off into a drug-infested lifestyle or see them just walk away with their own mind and say, you know, they taught me, but there is no God. There are times when your family will walk off from you. It'll break your heart. But it's then you find out about the strength and the power of Almighty God. So that's what David said. You've taught me from my youth. And there it is, those seven things. I stole those from C.H. Spurgeon, a footnote, and an old commentary. I just found them listed down at the bottom. I'd never read them before, and I found those, and I built a sermon introduction around them. And then David said about strength and power, notice when he gets down to verse number 20, and you have shown me many troubles and distresses, you will revive me again. Lord, through all the distress, all the difficulties, do it again. Bring me up from the depths. Increase the greatness and and turn me to God. Hear me, dear friend. There is nothing too hard for our God. He can save anybody in this room. He save anybody you can share with. I've seen what I would say hard cases of people getting saved. I had a gentleman years ago sat in the balcony at Olive one Sunday. I had never used an illustration out of the NBA about a certain particular gentleman. And I did that day and this man played ball with that guy. He said, I wasn't even listening to you till you mentioned Pat Riley in the message, and he said, God dealt with my soul, and he came running, and God saved him. God saved him. I'm telling you, God saved anybody. We think of all the hard cases in our church over. Eddie Ashari was one of those. Eddie's in heaven today. He sat in the balcony. He had jumped out of a prison up in Sing Sing and came to Pensacola. He got out and... Uh, they shot at him, and he ran out of bullets, he told me, and it was just a mess, but because they had done him wrong, they gave him early release. He came to Pensacola. He's a Catholic, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He was in pre-law, but he is mean as a snake, high on drugs. Came walking down. I'll never forget it, Janie. He came walking down the aisle one Sunday morning. He said, I want to come try this Jesus you've been talking about. God gloriously saved him right there. He tried to go to work, and he couldn't find any work. He came back to my office. He said, Pastor, I thought you told me if people forgive me, they'd, they'd love me and help me. I said, well, I'll hire you. And so I put him on the maintenance staff. He was the worst janitor we ever had in the history of this church. <laughs> now, it wasn't because he wouldn't work. He just kept witnessing to everybody walked in. And he wouldn't clean for preaching. I said, I think we got this old boy in the wrong seat on the bus. And so I put him in charge of the drug and rehab program, and he started Most Excellent Way over at our church. It's meeting tonight. Still going. It is in heaven, but the most excellent way is going. It'll go Tuesday night. It's going Friday night. It'll be in some other churches different nights of the week. And I'll never forget, Pastor, when when he died, and we buried him. My God. They lined up around the building. And they came by and they kissed him and they thanked him. I just stood there and I said, Lord, God, I'll have to carry his bags when we get to heaven. God had changed it boy. I, God can save anybody. Yeah. He can save you tonight. See, he's got power and he's got strength. I don't care what you're walking through. God can revive your soul. He can save anybody. He can save any marriage. He puts you back together. But listen to me, church. He can revive any church. He can revive any church. He take a dead church, raise it from the dead. He take a church that's just a little bitty group. He, he, he breathe life back into it. Hey, our churches go through transitions. They're up and down. And I've been at Olive long enough to see cultural change and uh, the people around the church. They move out and other people move in. You got to reach those people. And guess what? The folks that move in ain't like the folks that moved out. Your ministry has to change somewhat but the power of God breathes on that and God can revive any church if, if every generation will love every other generation he can breathe life into that. But when you begin to build a fence around it and say we've done it this way and it's the only way we can do it and you can't come because you're not like us I'm here to tell you you will die dead. God wants to revive his church. In the 1900s really before electricity was used very much in America. They had gas lamp posts in cities. And as dusk would come, children, oftentimes young people, were used to do it. They had torches, long poles, and they would go. They were called lamp lighters. I'm here to tell you, I believe with all my soul what the church needs, a bunch of lamplighters. Over at our place tonight, the college kids are meeting. There'll be over 200 of them over there coming off the campus University of West Florida. That's the weirdest looking bunch of folks ever i seen. <laughs> but if I wasn't here tonight, I'd be over there with them. I go every Tuesday night and they come in. They, they wear some of the awfulest clothes ever i seen in my life. They got their jeans ripped, you know, and their knees is through them and uh, they got stuff knocking their nose and they marked up and they did. They don't look like me. But that's all right. God's raised up an old boy by the name of Austin. He's a soccer player. I mean, take a communist sport and use him for revival. It's the wildest thing ever I've seen. Austin's in my office this week, and he was sharing me what all God's been doing. He'll go on that campus, and boy, he talks to that. But you know, when they get ready to need answers, they want the old man to give them some advice. And I just love on them. I don't dress like this when I go to the college meet on Tuesday night. I I don't wear ripped jeans. My mom would whip me if I wore ripped jeans, but I... (laughs) I had a pair one time, and I wore them up home. And uh, I got up the next morning, and she'd patched my pants, so I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it, you know. It's just every generation's different. I'm not like my mom and dad; they're not like me, and I'm not like the next my folks. Just stuff keeps. But I'm telling you, we must, my Lord, in Jesus' name, we must love one another. Yeah. We got to put our arms around each other and cry out to God. And so tonight, I hadn't planned to do this just like the singer wasn't planning to do but I, I'm going to do something in this invitation that's just a little odd. How many people in here are over 75 years old? How many people are over 75 and can get up? <laughs> if, if you're over 75, I'd like you to stand up right now and come stand right across this place right here. If you're over 75, just, just come stand right here. Can I get you to come to the keyboard? Yeah, if you're over 75, just come and we'll just line right right across here, all right? And face me, face me right here if you're over 75. Don't run off on me, just come stand here. I'm not going to hurt you, I'm not going to ask you for an offering, all right? Yeah, God love you, amen, wow. Wow, that's good. If you need somebody to lean on, y'all just slide right down through there, yeah, hallelujah. I should have made it over 80, shouldn't I? Yeah. Some of y'all lied. You didn't raise your hand back there a while ago. All right. That's good. Just come on in and slide down How many people I got in here are under 40 tonight? Let's make it 50 or less. You're under 50. Would y'all just move in a little closer? If you're 50 or younger, I'd like you to get up and come lay your hands on the back of this generation. I see it. Come on. Oh, yeah. Amen. Come on. Just the people that are there. Maybe your granddaddy may not be. It doesn't matter. Just if you listen, if you just come across here, they need someone down here on this end a little bit. I want you just to pray. I want you to pray for them. Now hear me. This, this, got, this got to happen in our churches. Loving one another, encouraging one another. We don't do life the same. But we follow the same Jesus, amen. We're in the same church. God melt us together and make us one. So while this pianist plays just quietly for a moment, would you that are behind them, just lay your hands up. Would you just pray out loud? You may even know that. Just pray for the, the favor of God to be on them and thank God for the people that are there in front of you. Just pray out loud right now. Just pray. Ask the favor of God to rest. That's it. Amen. thank you for our multi-generation time thank you for these that have stood for a long time for you and I pray you'll bless them now those of you that came down here first and are facing me would you turn around and hug the people that are behind you just pray for them would you just love them in Jesus name. yeah hallelujah yes sir (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, You can slide back to your seat if you want to, or you can just hang out down here and love one another. are gonna sing a song the pastors are gonna be here at the front he said I've already been to the front well maybe you need to come in profession of your faith maybe you need to come kneel in this altar tonight maybe you need to go across this way and tell somebody you love them I'd be alright too the pastors gonna to be here and Alan's gonna to begin to sing We've already had one invitation, but if God's calling you, maybe you're here tonight, and God's called you to preach. Amen. You come talk to the pastor. If you're here all to join this fellowship. Come. This chair needs somebody to pray for you. And you can slip out. You can come. Let's stand together all over this room.